Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! For the win! And we're back. Jabari, how you doing, brother? <clears throat> not bad, not bad. You know, it's always I'm always doing better when we're closer to a potential NBA return. Yeah, and it, it does sound like we're going to get there. And I guess that can kind of kick us off. Um, you know, from, from my understanding of news breaking between, you know, Woj, Shamshrani, and Mark Stein, the last few days, it looks most likely that we're getting Disney World. Looks most likely that the season would start mid-July, mm. and that would push the championship towards the end of September. That's actually slower than I was was hoping this would roll. Well, if I'm not mistaken, didn't we see somewhere where they, they, they wanted to get up to like 70 games, meaning they would come back, play the equivalent of like three to five games, and then go into the postseason? Or was, yeah, well, or was that the last iteration of rumors? But I, I think that was somewhat posturing, too. Like I think players don't want to give back money, but of they course. don't. But they don't want to play games that don't matter, and, and, and not just players, owners as well, right? So I, I think there's a bunch. There's players posturing with uh, owners. There's owners posturing with networks, and I think how they decide to like chop this up is going to be somewhat interesting. I, I was thinking about this from. There's been a lot of discourse on whether NBA players should suck it up, and we've talked about that, but. If you got like an all-inclusive press pass to go live at Disney for three weeks and just cover the playoffs, or it'd be longer than that, six weeks mm-hmm. to cover the playoffs, would would you be in? See, my answers, you know, you know, might be different than like, say, for instance, guys that we know that have families, you know, like have kids and whatnot. My answer is yes. You know, I'm I'm a single, you know, like, well, I'm in a relationship, but I don't have kids. I don't, you know, I, I don't have anybody that I truly have to answer to. Like, no, I'm being serious. Like, my answer might be different if I had to worry about coming back and you know, you know, truly being a real you know, intermix with you know, with a family, uh, with little ones or whatever, whatever the case may be. Uh, so that I, you know, so I can I could take that risk, and I absolutely would. What about no. you? I, see, I wasn't giggling at your answer. I was giggling at the flex that you're in a relationship because oh. I just I didn't even know that. Like, I knew you were seeing someone. I didn't know it's, it's officially a relationship. Like, I don't think you've talked about it on the show before. I, I I don't think that I talk about things of that nature on the show. That's why. And and no. what's funny is that was a slip. <laughs> was was is this significant other of yours the one who was making fun of me um, and was listening to it last week? Absolutely. <laughs> but that, that makes but the, sense because I was like, "Who would listen to our show and make uh-huh. fun of me?" But, then, but if it makes you feel better, she makes fun of me nonstop. Okay, so. I was going to say she's got to be emotionally compromised. Um, nah, nah, nah. I, I would, I would hop on a plane immediately. I, I mean, I, w- I would be down there so quick. And and fortunately, you know, teaching the summer kind of opens that up for me. Mm-hmm. But you know, if this was my full time full time job, I'd be there in a I, I think it would be so fun. What are your thoughts on the crowd noise? Um, do they pump in the crowd noise? Do they not? Do you care? 
Yeah, I gotta be honest with you. My very first thought was like, why the hell are people like seemingly preemptively looking for something to be mad about? Like, I, I get it. You know, it's something different. It's something that you're not used to. But like, let's be real. Like, and I'm gonna go ahead and I'm you know, since I've been watching The Sopranos, I'm gonna go ahead and paraphrase Tony Soprano, which in which he got wrong. But basically, this is like folks that are that are looking to starve to death with a ham underneath their arms, simply because they don't have the bread to make a sandwich. Nothing is going to be normal. We're not going to have, you know, we're not going to have it exactly how we want it. I don't understand for the life of me why anybody would complain about this. At least give it a shot. If it doesn't sound good, turn your turn your TV down. Or I'm sure that they, I'm sure they will make the adjustment. But like to, like I said, to preemptively complain about this, it just seems, it just seems like, like what do you do? What are we doing here? Yeah, and I, here's the thing too. I, I just genuinely don't care. And and yeah. I was I was wondering. If the really strong opinions coming from people who either really wanted it or really didn't want it, um, were people just bored wanting to fight over something, which is always yes. a possibility on mm-hmm. on uh, Twitter. But to be honest, during the season, now there's like a large portion of the quote unquote blog boys. I find this especially mm-hmm. with guys who um, claim to be draft experts. Mm-hmm. Like they pretend they're like elbows on their knees, hands under their chin, four feet away from the television, <laughs> don't miss a single action from any player in a game, taking notes, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The re- when, when the reality is, like, the game's on, I'm cooking to dinner, I'm talking to whoever's at the house, I'm checking Twitter, you know, like, maybe I hear Reggie that night, maybe I don't, um, you know, I'm flipping between six games if it's a busy slate, like... I'm not saying that everyone takes in their NBA. Like it's different if you like have an assignment on someone for sure, but like to think that I'm gonna be 110% focused on the audio, and I probably won't even notice, man. But but here's the thing: even when folks are watching real games, it has real audio. So why would it make a difference if it's if it's fake? If it's okay, you're watching a sitcom. Why does it make a difference to me whether it's a laugh track or somebody sitting there making the same exact sound? Now, if obviously if it's annoying or if it's like off or whatever, yes, that's something to complain about. But that's you know let's let's get to the let's get to the bridge before we cross it. I I like look. Anyone that was complaining about that, I don't care who you are. I don't care what association I have with you or what type of friendship we have. That shit sounded stupid. I I just don't understand it. It's crazy because people have been complaining about the NBA in-game commentary for forever. Yes. For for as long as I've been a fan. But they continue to listen to it. Like, there are plenty of times during the season where I put on a podcast and I mute the TV. Exactly. uh, So I'm just, I'm, I'm curious now why people are so passionate about this or worked up about it. It's it's just not going to change the experience. I just want basketball back for me. It's honest. it's something to complain about. Exactly. We all just want basketball back. We all just look. The last six weeks or eight weeks or however long it's been has been has done great for adding perspective. Now, while I you know I respect those folks that kind of reached out to me when I was you know you know saying I you know like I can't wait for sports to be back and I really will appreciate them that much more. They were saying like, oh well, this just shows that you know we're addicted to sports and we just need like you know shut up. Okay, y- yes, I recognize that. I still will take I still will take the sports when I'm drinking a beer or whatever the you know, whatever the bad thing is. I recognize that's not the best thing for me. But damn it, right in that moment, I want a blue moon. Shut up. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, so we are going to later in this episode. We are going to get to our Wes Anderson film rankings. So we both filled this out, but uh, we asked listeners to fill out, rate the movies on a scale of one to one hundred. Um, again, we we continue to uh, to uh, edit and add to our overall list, which we will talk about next week. We'll unveil that next week for everybody to kind of compare, call us crazy, whatever. 
Um, but we will get to Wes Anderson at the end of this podcast, talk about his movies, reveal how you guys ranked them. Next week, or actually not, so sorry, this week on Thursday, um, we're going to do Christopher Nolan. Mm. So a filmography that I think more people <laughs> are familiar with. Not that Wes isn't popular or mainstream, but I think he's kind of quirky in a way that doesn't apply to everyone. I would assume that uh, Christopher Nolan has a big turnout. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. When when we led off with Wes Anderson, I thought this was a bit ambitious. Not because, you know, his movies aren't legitimately great at times or that you know, he doesn't have fans or whatnot, but for that exact reason. Um, you know, I, I think we can acknowledge that his, you know, his most ardent of supporters probably come from a niche, you know, fan base. Um, those of us that like him and get his humor and appreciate, you know, what he does, we like him a lot. Those that, you know, they don't quote unquote get it, it's not for him. So I, we definitely appreciate all of the folks that you know took the time to actually participate in this. Yeah, and I mean we'll, we'll get we'll get to him more in a minute, but I I, yeah. I think it's interesting because uh, yeah no we, we'll save it for a minute before we yeah. do that I have a couple quick other hitters. Um, ESPN has announced they are doing a ten part doc. You see the athlete they picked? I did. Any I did. interest in a ten part doc on Tom Brady? So the chowders are going to say like we're hating it, but I'm going to be upfront about it. For the same reason why I'm not interested in, in something of this nature from Derek Jeter, for the same reason why, you know, Tom Brady is great. He's one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback of all time. No one's taking anything away from his success. I don't know that I'm going to be compelled to watch 10 straight out, you know, 10 hours of that. Like, and, and they could, they could prove me wrong. They could show you know they could show up and it could be uh, it, it could be absolutely incredible. Tom Brady could be out there naming names, you know, holding you know, holding his crotch and saying, "Yeah, that's what's up." I doubt that's going to take place. So for that reason, I'm good. But you know, I get why a Patriots fan, you know, or maybe like a diehard diehard in you know NFL fan would be into it. Yeah, I mean, I think the honest truth is just like my interest in the NFL has waned so much mm-hmm. over the last ten years to the point where like, yeah, I still. Cowboys and, and fantasy football, but I, I'm not going to watch, you know, Buccaneers and Panthers no. on, on a Sunday night anymore, you know, <laughs> unless I'm yeah. getting together other people. I'm just not, like, my interest level in it isn't the same, and I was trying to think, like, is there an NFL athlete that not only would I watch 10 hours, but I feel like I would be pumped enough, and, like, my group of friends who I play fantasy football with forever would be pumped to watch 10, and I just, I'm, I'm struggling to think of one, man. I just we already We already did this, though. Yeah. It's O.J. Simpson. <laughs> and, and it's the greatest documentary of all time. So good luck topping that one. Yeah. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, people are, are taking it, you know, it's politics, it's, it's, it's race, it's, you know, sports preference. It, it's just, I don't know, man. Tom Brady's competitive and he was a sixth round pick. And at the end, him and Belichick weren't tight and he cheated a couple times and he paid his penance and then, you know, carried on like the NFL was out to get him for forever. And he's probably the greatest to ever do it. And, you know, I just kind of told you the story in 10 episodes. There you and, go, in, in 10 seconds. And, <laughs> and, the, and the thing with Jordan that was interesting is, like, his marketing was on just another level. Like, what? Like he's he's a different level of icon. Mm-hmm. And what? even though we had already known a large portion of, of the things that were discussed in that documentary, it had been 20 years since yes. they've been talked about. You know, mm-hmm. Brady's literally still playing. The, that right there is a reason why I don't think the doc would be quite as successful as they, as they might anticipate, you know, in, in planning it. And, sp- and that's right. And that's what it is. For all of the folks that are like me, they're like, man, get the hell out of here with this. 
say 10 to 15 years from now, say 10 years from now, I might be more interested because I'm not so saturated with, look, I just saw this guy in the Super Bowl two years ago. I just, you know, I, I, I'm just seeing this. So if you're not a fan of his, trust me, there's an oversaturation of, you know, like, you know, of that product. But, you know, you give me a t- you give me 10 years to, to look back on it, you know, like 10 years from now, you know, we've got, you know, Patrick Mahomes, however many he's got by that time, you know, we've got all these, you know, other young guys, you know, guys that compare it and then look back and say, damn, but remember how dope Brady was? That to me is a smarter, you know, smarter approach. But, you know, far be it for me to, you know, tell ESPN how to do their, you know, do their business. Yeah, I mean, you pay, like Brady and Manning used to be a great conversation and it was mm-hmm. heated. And, uh, I, you know, I was talking about this Twitter. Someone was like, yeah, they should have done Peyton Manning. And I was like, no, get Peyton oh, Manning's no. Papa John eating ass out of here, too. I don't want that. Like, well, this is – okay, so this is the thing about that. Now that we've seen the Jordan one and how, you know, how much influence, you know, like those luminary folks can have over their – you know, like over the, you know, the creative process, specifically with ESPN, we – that's another reason why this that's not intriguing. The, the, the Peyton Manning one would not be intriguing at all unless they were going to go into what took place when he was at Tennessee with that tr- athletic trainer that they ended up, you know – and do your Googles for this, that, that they ended that, up – That hushed, hushed, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That they, that they ended up – you know, kind of, you know, brushing under the, the unless they're going to go that deep into these things or with Tom Brady, are they going to say like, hey, yo, man, you cheated. It doesn't matter. You're great, but you cheated. Are they going to do that? No, they're not. So like that, you know, that in itself, unless, you know, like if these docs were coming out on Netflix or some, you know, something somewhere else, some other outlet that didn't have a direct affiliation and partnership with the NFL and a, or the N- NBA or whatever the case may be, specifically, you know, with the directive of at least not making us look terrible, I would be, I would be all for it and just to be clear i'm not criticizing you know i'm not criticizing the documentarians i'm not criticizing those you know those organizations or those entities for having you know for you know keeping their you know bottom line in mind i'm just stating we have to be honest that that is the case when it comes to these you know these products yeah and i just i mean i, I try to get excited but i just can't you know yeah. like yeah maybe 20 years from now i'd be really into reliving some of this and if he was going to spill on like how much of a nut belichick is or something maybe he gets me but yeah. yeah, I think we're on the same same vibe with this. Um, oh, yeah. Under Armour stock taking a dump. Mm. Nike's going up slightly. Um, speculation that Steph Curry might make a change. I'm. I. How shoe savvy are you? Like in the NBA shoe game, like what uh, is your level halfway halfway decent? You know. Yeah. So here's my thing, man. And and again, like people are accusing me of like hating Steph Curry when I'm asking Uh-oh. this question, but like. Okay. I wasn't, you know, I was reading an article about how, you know, Under Armour's stock is in the dumps and, um, you know, no one, people don't wear curries. And I just, if Steph Curry didn't change the culture of Under Armour, didn't massively boost their profile, um, I I just don't know, like, is he going to do that now, now that he's no longer at his peak? I, I don't know how much I've long thought that aside from like the Kobe's the Jordans the LeBron's like the absolute pinnacle of player that like how much do these guys um, you know influence these brands like how many of their sneakers are getting bought you know Puma went out and signed like 12 guys last summer and I haven't heard anything about Puma sneakers in like I don't know four or five months so I just I, I was wondering about like how big a deal this really was so it, it was a big deal in the sense of this. Prior to Steph going with Under Armour, they weren't in the conversation. 
they weren't even in the same zip code. They weren't in the same state as that, as that conversation is going down. They got you know they, they 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 were placed on the map at least where you know I, I'm not you know not exact figures. Say they ended up with like a you know thirty you know a ten percent share of the market. You may it might have been more, might have been less. They started off with like a point oh 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 nine percent. So while it you know the end result to someone that wasn't been, you know that wasn't paying attention to kind of how the you know the you know the market went will you know it, it'll look like oh okay that's kind of that that's cool it actually was really significant where you and I aren't going to go out and rush and buy steps the kids still will sometimes and matter of fact I'll be honest with you I, let's just say I've had individuals that are associated you know that are in my life where I've had to go out and explain where to go get the curries for a 10 year old and I I even asked a question like are you sure you want these kids like, are you are you sure? And he was you know, dead set on it. So while it, the, the idea of this is if he was able to get people to buy Under Armors and especially those clunker twos, whatever those, you know, whatever they call those, then you put them with Nike, you put them with, you know, you know with the design. And, and let's be honest, if you put a swoosh on something, we, the, the, uh, whether it's right or wrong, a lot of us think it looks better. So you put him in there with you know it you know, still still in his you know still in his prime you know on the back end of it but still in his prime he's a guard I'll be honest with you I think it'll be a great uh, I think if they go that direction it would be it would be a great move I respect yeah. I respect well, the attempt but it was a great move it I would be. I feel like shoes are talked about like from a very opinionated place where like of people course. have their thoughts on them and it's not like there's no basketball reference for kick sales. I would love to see the actual numbers of how many Currys got moved, one, two, three, I don't know how many shoes he had. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was down in Orlando last time, I went and tried on a couple pairs. Because I was like, you know what, like, I've never had a pair of Currys, and I was in the market looking for a new game shoe, and, and they just all felt funky on my feet. That was it, that was it. But again, like I'm just one guy, and I, and when I'm hooping up here, I don't see people wearing them very often. And yeah. you know, it, like all I saw the last couple of years was like people clowning on his shoes, so... I don't know, man. It's just it's an interesting thing. I like and same thing with Curry and Under Armour. I would love to know, like it, to that percentage point. Like let's say Puma had one percent of people buying their shoes to hoop in before they signed twelve NBA players off from the same draft class and Terry Rozier um, of all people. Well, like what? <laughs> how did how did that change it? Like okay. did Terry Rozier getting paid in Charlotte and hooping hooping for the Hornets? Where kids like you know I got to get me a pair of the Terrys like I. But the thing of it is, is like the like look, scary Terry doesn't move the needle, and rookies in general or young players in general don't move the needle. You know, in, in terms of sales, until people have the ability to say, "Hey, I've seen this guy for three years, four years, five years, and you know, actually have success." That's not going to do anything. So, like, while I respected what Puma was trying to do, I looked at it and said, "Why are they signing all these guys that nobody knows?" I understand that somebody got into a room with them and said, "This is the new hip. This, and we're gonna just." Feel- that was a dumb idea. You no, get, you know what? I, let, huh? See, I, I think there was more stress. I, I, I think Puma was like, let's go buckshot. Make sure we hit the star from this class by giving uh-huh. everybody a deal. I can and get, then okay. we'll go from there. But I, I, I just want to know. I mean, you know, okay, there's there's fans, these guys who played and, you know, they played at their university. They got drafted by their team. Like, how many people are rocking their shoes because they saw Marvin Bagley or DeAndre Ayton or whoever else, you know, got on there with them? I would just love to know what it did, like who did it. But I I, when they signed Terry Rozier, I don't remember what they gave him, like $25 million or whatever. Uh-huh. I'm like, did that 
Really? Like, it, are you ever going to make that back? Like, is Terry Rozier going to make $25 million in shoes in his lifetime? What it felt like to me, to be honest with you, with like, and, and I get the, you know, the, you know, the buckshot, you know, uh, tactic because that, you know, that, that makes sense. But what it also felt like to me, it was like, all right, yeah, and we got, we got Terry. All right. We have to get somebody. All right. Hmm. Hmm. You, will you take our money? No. Okay. What about you? What about you? What about you? you and, and this is no disrespect to, you know, to Terry Rozier. Obviously, you know, you know, Hooper, you know, can you know, you can do all types of great things on the court. I wouldn't want them necessarily uh, at the rate, you know, at the at the money that you know Charlotte paid them for my team, but that's okay. Get your money. Um, but it's you know, again, if, if you're settling on you know Terry Rozier, uh, you're probably not going to have as as good of a rollout as you anticipated. Okay, so if if we if we butchered this, or if you know of like a great website that tracks this sort of stuff, or if you, if you've got some insight, we missed it. Hit us up on Twitter at Josh Eberly or at Jabari Davis NBA for Jabari, because like I am curious, like I am curious how the deal goes. But uh, yeah, Mike, I saw that and I kind of winced a little. My guy, the the Jameson is is a good source for that too. By the way. Um, he actually used to work for Kicks. He used to work. You know, he, he he he's he's into this the way that we're into basketball. Just he's into basketball as well, but he's into that the same way. Uh, so I actually will use him as a resource and, and find out for us. He's a he's a shoe empire dude. Yep. Fair enough. Okay, at the hoop central, at the hoop central, um, he put out a tweet and he was like uh, asking if you thought Tatum would win an MVP. Hmm. Thoughts? Uh, it okay so. Boston fans get mad. Hear me the whole way. It's less likely than than it you know you know it's it it's less likely to happen obviously than to happen, but it's not impossible. Um, yeah. Yeah. It 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 feels difficult in a sense because what that what that essentially will mean is during you know over the next five to seven years in all likelihood he's going to need to play at a higher level than Giannis. Uh, you know, you know, uh, and, and some of those other guys that are in that conversation, but in particular, Giannis, and, and in particular, if he stays in Milwaukee, that's going to be fun. I mean, it, it'll be a hell of a lot of fun. But look, I would, I would probably bet against it if my life depended on it. But you know, if I, you know, if we're just playing fantasy money, sure, why not? I could see it taking place. There's certainly you throw out other players, it's like no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So here, here's the thing. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Hmm. Uh, and the same as you, I don't think it's impossible. But look at Kevin Durant. Who has about four scoring titles? Mm-hmm. Um, was pretty much the best you could be at a three as a three four wing, you know, like the the be- the absolute apex offensively you could be as a three four wing, and became a pretty impactful defender. You know, towards the end of his time in Oklahoma City, and definitely with Golden State. But this is a guy who was averaging like thirty points, eight rebounds, you know, four assists, a steal, and a block, and he has one MVP award. Okay, Melo never got close. Didn't sniff one. Mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard doesn't have one. Paul George doesn't have one. Um, and I think part of the reason for that, all of this is obviously the other great players, but MVP voters and fans and, and the culture of basketball, you know, widely supports and cares about and fixates on playmaking and assists. Mm-hmm. Now, Jason Tatum is probably the Celtics. He is the Celtics best player. And he's probably their most impactful player. And he might be their best defender. But Ke- Kemba Walker's their engine, and he has the assist numbers. And I, and I don't know that you know Tatum's box score numbers, and specifically his playmaking numbers, will ever pop enough to compete with a Giannis or a Luca or whoever else you know is putting up 30, 10, 10 every night, three, it, four, five years from now. 
that's a great point. The path that you know that it, it could happen from is if he puts up the twenty five to thirty a night and also is acknowledged as a great defender. Like, yes. like if, if you've got both of those going for you, I think you can still get there. But you're right. Oftentimes we do equate, um, you know, leadership. And obviously, you know, MVP is a leadership type, you know, like leadership type award. We equate leadership to, you know, playmaking and, and getting the others involved. And obviously that, you know, that uh, that leading to overall team success. Uh, it, like I said, it's, it's it's not impossible, just not likely. But, I, you know, that path that I laid out, I, I could see that taking place. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what I said to you. I was like, if, if the masses – get to a place where defense is more important to them mm-hmm. than playmaking, I think it's possible. Or if he just got to the place where he was such a dominant defender that it couldn't be ignored, mm-hmm. and he was in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year, and he was playing 80 games for a 60-win team, mm-hmm. you know, again, there's there, there are routes for him to get there. It just doesn't seem the most likely. So then my add-on question to this is if I take away Giannis and if I take away Luka, because I think those are the two high usage guys on teams that are going to be competitive for the next, you know, five or so years. Mm-hmm. Who is your if your life depended on it? Who would be the name you threw out that's going to win MVP in the next five? No Luca, no Giannis. No Luca, no Giannis. And you know, they only have to win one. Yeah, honestly, yep. I'd probably either go AD or honestly Harden. I could see him. I I can see Harden doing what he's doing for another two to three years, like at this type of level. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was gonna take out AD too, but then I left him thinking, you know, because you didn't think I would pick him. <laughs> no, I did. I was gonna take him out because I thought you might pick him. Oh, but okay. Then, yeah, but yeah, I, I think Harden's not a terrible, terrible answer. It would be very interesting to see him go somewhere else too. If yeah, they who, trade him, and then does that help his case? Who's um, the guy that you would say? I was, I was struggling. If I was you, I, I, you know, the guy that I was thinking about, which I can't believe. I or was. even Kawhi. I just don't think Kawhi's ever going to play enough games to get a regular season MVP. It's mm, possible. I, that's and that's probable, actually, yeah, given what we've seen over the last three, four years. The guy I was thinking about actually was Embiid. I was like, if they trade mm. Simmons and the Sixers win 60 games and he's the unquestioned engine of that team. Um, that, that, that was the kind of the route I was thinking. But it's, Especially since the NBA loves Joel Embiid, for a good reason. You know, you, they do, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I'm with that. Okay, did you watch the Game of Zones finale? I didn't. Tell me about it. Uh, I, you know, like you should go watch them. They're fun. It was it was really fun. Like final recap, three episodes here. Just shouts to at Mutsack and at Mutsack Craig mm-hmm. of Bleacher Report putting those together. They were a lot of fun. I was like initially slow to get in on it this year, um, as many people are because there's no Thrones and the NBA is mm-hmm. on hiatus. <laughs> but I got in. I watched them all last week and really enjoyed it. And you know, in the end, they follow kind of the Game of Thrones script. And Paul Pierce is uh, Bran Stark, so Paul Pierce gets to be the goat <laughs> of goats at the end, which was hilarious and awful at the same time. But they're they're just some great one-liners, and something I will say about like ESPN, Bleacher Report, CBS, all these places cater their content very largely to the average fan mm-hmm. you know really surface level questions they just want your engagement they're not trying to like thought provoke or hit you with easter eggs uh game of zones is the opposite these three were just like full of like you have to be on nba twitter you have to want to play like the Braun versus jordan games you have to like know the culture of watching the game today to really get all of their jokes and i very much appreciate like how catered it is to the super fans. You, you, you know, one of the things I, I can appreciate from it, you know, and, and I will definitely go back and watch it, uh, is the fact that 
Paul Pierce, as much as much crap as we all throw at that guy, as much as we dunk on that guy nonstop, he goes with the joke, man. Like, like, okay, so you know, we were all making fun of him, or, you know, or everybody was, you know, you know, poking fun and you know, making light of stuff, you know, a few days ago. And when that came out, when when the game of zones came out, he even screenshots it. It says like, "Yep, case closed," because he knows, of course, the, of course, that's a ridiculous. He made it idea. his avatar. He really yeah. leaned into it. Yeah. No, but you know what I mean. He he knows that's a ridiculous idea, just like we all thought, Brandon, you know. Brand you know, having the best story was a ridiculous idea. I don't think so. I don't think so, man. I think he thinks he has a case. I don't like, think he does. When he was Come talking on. about how he's better than Wade and he believes that and stuff, I, yeah, man, he, Paul he, Pierce he, does not think he's the goat. Come on, he, man. He's, he's, <laughs> He's the worst. He's the worst human being. Oh, by the way, uh, just real quickly, there were some people that were accusing us of hating Paul Pierce, and this is the thing, what you need to understand out there. Josh hates I, Paul Pierce. I do hate him. Yeah. Josh hates Paul Pierce. I hate Carl Malone. I just don't think Paul Pierce belongs in the conversation that he truly believes he does. That's the difference. But please carry on. Did you see the clip of Malone talking about Jordan? Yes, I did. Yeah, he's a tough guy to like. Yeah, there's nothing about the guy that you know what I, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. Yeah, we don't have to do it again. I'm just saying, man, he's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. To like, um, yeah, no, I I, I laughed. I, I it it it's it's largely a bit too, right? Like I don't actually yes. hate the guy, but I, it, it it's largely a bit. But it is fun to bang on him because often he he you know he elevates himself into conversations he shouldn't be in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no. Anyway, there was the the funniest moment of the season though was like. All of the players and the media are talking about Jordan because Jordan's uh, dream team comes back as the White Walkers. <laughs> and they're coming to prove once and for all he's better than LeBron James. And so uh, I think it's Dwayne Wade who figures it out because he's training to be a member of the media. And Dwayne Wade's like, yeah, they're coming for the GOAT. And Paul's like kind of half talking to the room, half talking to me. And he's like, they're coming for me. <laughs> All right, All and right. It, it, it 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 did it did kill me. I laughed pretty hard. How long are um, you, how long are these episodes? These ones got longer. I think they're like 15, 15, 12 or something like that. Okay, I'm yeah, I'll mess with it. I'll check. Yeah. Matter of fact, we got the day off tomorrow. I'll check it out by the you know by and and, and get back to you by the next show. You got like a solid almost hour of viewing. I think. All right. Three. Um, okay, so what else did I want to talk about here? Oh, quick thoughts. You got around to watching The Joker, which yes. was everyone's favorite movie last year, it felt like. Um, what I'm just checking what it got around Tomatoes. It got 68% around Tomatoes. So around Tomatoes did not love it as much as the social media echo chamber. Um, your quick thoughts. You, you know, I, I do my best, when, especially when I know folks really, really loved something, I do my best not to just be like, you know, that was just dog trash. You know, dog crap or whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying the Joker was because obviously, you know, it's it's a, it's a you know, major, you know, major, you know, big budget film and all of that good stuff. But for me, of you know, you know, right off the bat, right off the rip, it wasn't a Batman movie. I get that. It wasn't, but it was not even anything near that type of movie. I get where they were going with this, they, they, like, I don't, you know, and, and forgive me, I, I should have looked up who directed it, but I get that they were, you know, essentially making like an art house film, uh, and 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 you know, and making it a you know, you know, with a big budget. But for me, while I respect the hell out of Joaquin Phoenix, and he's and he's phenomenal as he always is, he gets into the role as he always does. Uh, there was nowhere near enough, um, you know, enough steak. It was a whole lot of, you know, a ho- not even a whole lot of sizzle. You know, it 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 kind of plodded on at times. 
Um, there were some interesting performances, some interesting choices by actors. You know, like I, I liked, I guess I liked the dynamic, you know, that Robert De Niro brings in. I don't want to give it away completely uh, that Robert De Niro brings in and, you know, the, you know kind of playing off of, of Joaquin Phoenix. But for me, I, I like it's, it's a movie that you know, this will give you the perspective. I wouldn't even watch it a second time. I, yeah. You know, um, whether it was on, uh, I caught it in the middle. Never again. So my thing is, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk too long on this because I haven't seen this movie. Mm-hmm. But like, it's like a statement. Like, I, I don't want to see the reaction to this movie upset me deeply. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't like the amount of empathy for like a guy that is clearly not okay and makes some bad decisions. And like, we have a really bad um, habit right now of making like the anti-hero or the antagonist or the villain of a movie more um, relatable than than the heroes and I don't know why people are so in love with this notion but then you know it's the justification for all the wrongdoing because wrongdoing was done to you and the world just doesn't get cleaned up in that way Mm -hmm. and I I just I don't I just was not digging the things that I was reading about it and so I was like I I don't want to because I knew I would not like this I knew this movie would upset me so I just I decided to steer clear so you, without even watching it, just from the, you know reading the reviews, you hit it on the head. It's exactly that. Like yes, there. Like it's funny they try to make him a really sympathetic figure at the beginning, and in a couple you know times throughout, there's a, you know there's a big reveal, but it's not really compelling uh, because like we all saw it coming. Uh, but you know, but the truth is, it's just he just turns into some vigilante that goes out acting like a piece of shit. Like it, it wasn't like he was like, oh, I'm gonna get back at the people that directly hurt me. It was I'm going to wreak havoc because these, you know, because some you know random, you know, the, you know, the completely unrelated situations and circumstances happened to me when I was down, and the celebration of that, and like you said, like you know, for for whatever reason, people relating to that uh, in this way, it it's it. it it's telling of who we are or where we are and tell yeah. and obviously particularly you know those you know those specific people i feel like without watching it it played to and catered to people who felt they were angry angered and victimized by mm-hmm. the, the world they lived in and gave them this not suggestion is true too strong but like notion that it's okay to like rise up and do evil if evil has been done to you and i just i hate that I, yeah this and the, the the and, eternally subjugated the you know folks that definitely that's exactly it that right there is your joke is your joker review folks and and that's you know what man like if it's in the superhero movie I would carry it on mm-hmm. because when you make a superhero movie we're not dealing with something real but when you go out of your way to take a comic book movie and do everything you can to make it to relatable today and like you know stir people up today then you you're no longer a comic book movie. And and you know what? On that note, what it felt like was that you know the, I felt like the director said, Yo, "Okay, comic book nerds, I'm gonna show you how to make a real film. I don't give a damn about you know the, you know the story, the lineage, or any of that. This is what's up." And I get it. And again, it's you know it's beautifully made. You know, performances are you know are are, are you know range from good to you know even very good. Um, but yeah, it it, it was su- it was it was it was such a divorce from 
what you would anticipate, you know, from a comic book film. And so indulgent. It was so, so indulgent with Joaquin. And I, I almost hate saying that because, you know, he's great. But let me just be honest. I, and I, we, we kind of started to quickly talk about it before the show. I'll be quicker about it now. He, it basically went from Joaquin Phoenix saying like, okay, if, if I were along the spectrum, this is how I would act. And then a, a little bit later, it's, okay, if I were a paranoid schizophrenic, this is how I would act. And then later, it, you know, and it, like, it kind of intensified and it just ranged in between to, you know, to what we, what I imagine is Joaquin Phoenix's idea of what you know, of what you know, seeing someone you know, go through a mental health you know, struggle would be. For the record, I know folks out there. He has gone through his own. We're not talking about his reality. I'm talking about you know the on screen. So for me, um, it, it was kind of it was kind of all over the place. Uh, I appreciate the performance, but I, like I said, I just don't want to ever see it again. Yeah, fair enough. Um, in, in terms of what I watched this week, I watched Jackie Brown finally. Mm. I, saw, I saw the majority of it when I was like way too young to grasp any of it, and when we did Tarantino, you like really talked it up, so I wanted to get back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we we had a little bit of this exchange on Twitter, but basically, I thought the score was great. I, mm-hmm. I I thought the music was great. I thought the build up was great. I thought the delivery was really lackluster. It, I I don't think it blew up like the majority of Tarantino films do. It was kind of unrewarding for everything they put together. Um, you know, so in, I, I think he kind of I think he kind of ruined what could have been a great movie in the last half hour. And you know what's bad about it is that I have to agree with that because even though and it still remains one of my favorites for all of those reasons, and of course, like it it takes me to a place where I was at that exact time. Um, go looking back at it, it's soon could be. And the moment you said it, I said, "Yeah, it's shit." Okay. The mo- looking back at it, I'm like, yeah, like it was. It could have been a classically great film, and and likely even his best film had he nailed the landing. Had he been able to stick the landing, and all it. And I don't know. This is total speculation when I say this. I don't know if it was a matter of like they ran out of money, they ran out of budget, they ran out of time. Because guess that type of stuff does happen at times, especially early on. You're know, like you're know, like in a, in a director's career, but it. He didn't. You know, he just didn't. He didn't close the show, um, and and I and I actually wonder if he recognizes that. Like, if that's something that he acknowledges at this stage, or if he if he's one of those folks that you know, believes like, nope, that's how it should have been. Yeah, and you know, like I could, I I felt like I was watching Dominoes, mm. and it was you know, like I mm-hmm. it was obvious that De Niro was going to get the girlfriend. It was obvious that Sam was going to do De Niro, yep. and then I I thought we would get one twist or something interesting. But Sam L literally just walks into his own execution. And you're yeah. Like, sitting there like, what was the point of all that? This is also pointless. Like, it, and he just wraps it with Ray. He's got a gun, and then he just steps out and shoots. Like, come on. Like, yeah, that 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 was an absurd ending. And and what's Robert Forster's uh, motivation? And like, he his character is so like he's he's done, and he's at the end of his, his career, and he's had enough of it, so he's going to retire. So maybe, you know, there's that angle. But then he, <laughs> instead of leaving with the girl, he stays. Okay. And then, like, <laughs> what? Like, I'm done. I'm going to risk my life for this girl I just met because I'm obviously attracted to her. And even though I've had enough of my life here, I'm not going to leave. And actually, you know what? I'm not going to take the retirement money. I'm just going to keep working. Like, you know, that is, you know what? Damn, that's a that's a good point. And that, see, now you're gonna have me questioning one of my favorite movies of all time because exactly, <laughs> look, look just, at the beginning, I understood it. 
she had that dude listening to the Shy Lights and the Delphonics immediately. <laughs> and I said, okay, all right, Robert. And then when he, oh, when he, when she even mentioned that her butt was getting bigger, and he let her know, like, hey, hey, nothing, nothing wrong with that. I got it. But you're right. Why go through all of that? Why risk all of those things? Why go through all of the different steps that you actually assisted her in in, in committing these crimes and not take advantage at the end? At least get the money, but come on, let's be real. I would have been in, I would have been in Madrid with Miss Pam Greer. If she invites me right now, twenty years later, I'll go. Uh, <laughs> don't don't let your significant other listen to this one, she, but you know she knows. She uh, knows. I'm just kidding. No, but yeah, no, I was I was left very very unfulfilled. And and for a Tarantino movie, you often kind of suck up some like dry, long winded build up for the pop off moment. And this one's kind of backwards, like where the build up's pretty good, and then there's no pop off, and you're like. All right, I'm good. Yeah. And um, maybe you know what? Maybe that's why he goes so over the top with this shit now. With like, oh, I just gotta kill everybody, and <laughs> maybe that's that was a why. lesson learned. Yeah, maybe. Uh, okay. <laughs> and the other one is in preparation for what we're about to talk about mm-hmm. um, the Wes Anderson ratings. I watched Royal Tenenbaums because I hadn't watched it, and I felt like very much needed to watch that to talk about uh, these movies. But before we get to Mr. Wes Anderson and ranking his films, um, a message from our good friends at Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you will find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls, Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. And it looks like we're just chewing gum this week. So carrying on, uh, Tenet. Uh, I want to talk about Tenet. Before we get to actually Wes Anderson, next week we've already teased we're going to do Christopher Nolan's uh, movies. We'll have you guys break them on a scale of 1 to 100. We'll break those down on Thursday. Sorry, I keep saying next week. Um, but we both watched the trailer for Tenet. Uh, this is a movie that people are very excited about. Very, very excited about. Um, Christopher Nolan seems to have a hold on a lot of fans um, in a way that you know most directors don't. He just he has mm-hmm. people who are so genuinely excited for this film. Uh, they see it as sort of the de facto sequel to Inception. It's it's this movie in this similar type universe, also with a focus on time, and people are very, very, very excited for it. Um, I'm not really on that same wave, but where are you after this trailer? I'm a little bit higher than you are in the sense of like I, I like these movies that kind of deal with bending time and reality you know, in those ways but the truth of the matter is because I love Baby Zell man obviously I'm referring to David Washington uh, for anybody that's not aware he happens to be Denzel Washington's son uh, but he, but he's a very good young actor in his own right uh, so for me I'm, a, I, I'm, a, I'm more excited because I looked at that as like that's just the first trailer you know it, it, it's just to pique your interest it, it's not you know if it's it's either the second or the third trailer that they really you know of, of these big blockbusters that they really put every everything into so it was enough to it was enough to make me go like oh, okay I'm, I'm excited about that where and, and, and in reality even though I'm not I'm probably not going to go into the theater anytime soon it at least felt like what we would normally experience at this time and kind of talking about and anticipating a big time blockbuster like this so it it was it was a semi return to normalcy so I liked it yeah you know, there's a couple things I, I i i do very much enjoy christopher nolan mm-hmm. like a lot of his movies 
I don't. I think I like some of his movies. I mean, we'll get into this more next week, but I like some of his movies that are, are less liked more than the ones that are really liked. In, Inception, you know, in, in in particular, is not my favorite of his films. Um, I too like David Washington. I thought he was sensational in Black Klansman, mm-hmm. but I I felt like he was stiff in this trailer, and I'm wondering, you know, Ron Stallworth that he did in Black Klansman was kind of like a loose on the edge of your seat made some jokes kind of character mm-hmm. um, similar to Ricky and Ballers and and he felt very stiff in in this trailer to me as did Robert Pattinson whose one liner at the end of the trailer was like <laughs> and um, the whole thing too is I, I think I've talked about this before Tarantino and, and part of the reason I like Pulp Fiction is it felt like an ego fest mm-hmm. where like Quentin Tarantino was trying to convince you with every piece of dialogue that he's, he's the smartest the guy, yeah. the mo- or the wittiest guy to ever make a movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like with Christopher Nolan, I feel like sometimes he's trying to prove he's the smartest person in the world. Like, look, like look at this movie. Look how I shot it. Look how I made it. Look at how I manipulated time and brought you back to the center. I, I, th- I felt like with Dunkirk specifically, that took away from the movie, and I'm worried that that's going to happen here again with Tenet. I think that's an interesting observation, and you know, like, and after you said it, I think the same could probably be said for any of the major directors, even any of the great directors. Like when you get into a point, you get to a place where you not only recreate reality, but you can bend it and mold it in in your, your to how you see fit uh, from the visuals, but also the dialogue and all of those things. I, I I look back on it and I think like I wonder if it's almost impossible for them not to be narcissists, for them not to, you know, like, you know, to drink their own Kool-Aid and, and you know, when it's Quentin, it's, I gotta be the wittiest, and when it's Nolan, I've gotta be the most grandiose and, the, and, and you know, the most, you know, innovative, you know, same thing for, like, a Cameron. Um, I, it, 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 I know that's not where you were taking that conversation, but it, it that's where, you know, that's where it kind of led me. I, it doesn't surprise me, that, you know, when, when they are a little bit, um, indulgent in these yeah. movies. And, and they probably do all have flaws. Like maybe Tarantino does think he's wittier, and uh, Nolan does think he's smarter, and Cameron does think he's more creative, and whatever it is, and that's fine. I just I felt it in a few of Nolan's movies more than I care to feel it when I'm trying to like you know get into this imaginary world with these crazy things happening, and I'm I'm kind of worried like I'm gonna be sitting at the end of Tenet and I'm gonna debate whether or not that even made sense within the construct of his own movie. I'm going to have to hear movie nerds tell me I'm not just smart enough to get it. I'm already <laughs> like, ugh. Uh, I, you know, part of me wonders if that's kind of why you feel that way about Inception. Because we heard a lot of that. Like, if you didn't think it was the most brilliant thing ever, then you're just not smart enough to understand. It's like, no, 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 no. I get it. It's cool. But let's stop. <laughs> I, he, he, he is no longer in the dream. If you think he's still in the dream, you're wrong. I think. <laughs> but, what about, but what about the spin? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. It's still spinning. It's, it's still, still spinning. spinning. Um, <laughs> we will come back to Nolan next week because uh, I don't want to. I don't want to tip our hat on everything yet. But like, if we keep doing these and we do Spielberg, like I, I think too when you get bigger and you you're less artsy, that's less true. Like when you have 57 movies, I don't think every movie is about proving something at that well yeah because you don't have to prove it anymore yeah and maybe you've sold out at some extent but anyway anyway, we'll get to that with Spielberg okay so (laughs) nine movies directed by Wes Anderson and I just want to say shouts to Atmer Minx at M-U-R-M-I-N-K-S who gave us a signal boost on the Wes Anderson and she says this is her NBA finals so we need to do Meredith Minkow we need to do her solid 
Works at Bleach Report, puts out some great content, very good follow. But we, we, we got to do it right here. we got to have a conversation. So um, based on your rankings, we have all nine movies in order. Number nine, Bottle Rocket, with an average score of 65.8, which you might think, hey, that's kind of low. Um, already much higher than the lowest Tarantino film. Mm. So while Wes Anderson's an interesting guy, um, not a bad turnout for his lowest rated movie here. It Okay, so I'm not going to lie to you. I've never seen Bottle Rocket, and, and the most interesting thing about it is all my but all my you know film nerd buddies you know coming up they always talk about it and always you know I jumped on the party at Royal Tenenbaums, uh, but it, it it's one of those that especially since I, I happen to you know, appreciate Wes Anderson I do need to eventually go back and watch. Yeah, and I mean like the the Wilson brothers and you got a heist it, it it's worth the time I, I get why it's last ranked here it also came out in '96 so it's not the most recent of the films mm-hmm. I do appreciate too like. Don't don't wreck a movie out of 100 if you haven't watched it. Because yes. some of these like uh, have like 100 more ratings than the other, but I'd much rather you skip one than give it a two and you never watched it. So Yeah, just, um, or, or like, yeah, it, it, it just looks stupid. So, yeah, I'm, I'm that way. Like, I, when, I, when I do the rankings, if I haven't seen it, I just skip right on past it. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the only way you got to do it. You got to be sincere. But I, I think, too, like most directors, like this is some of his earlier work and he improved upon it. Yeah, and and I think you know when, when you see the characters of Owen and Luke, they're improved upon in Royal Tenenbaums as well. Is it is it his uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs, so to speak? Uh, Reservoir Dogs is better, but oh, okay. but sim- similar feel. But yeah. I was way higher on Reservoir Dogs than you, I think, too. Yeah, there you go. We did it. Well, no, yeah, well, yeah. I just I was just hating and, and messing with you. Reservoir Dogs is great, but it's just not as great as Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, fair enough. We'll agree to disagree on that again, yeah. again, again, again. Um, number eight, the J- Darjeeling Limited, and it had a score, sorry, of sixty-five point nine, so just barely higher. So what's interesting about Darjeeling Limited is I saw this one. I actually saw this in the theater, and I owned several copies of the DVD. But even when we were doing this, you know, this exercise, I thought. I don't really remember all that much about that movie. It's it you know with a lot of you know Wes Anderson films, it's 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 more about the cast, it's more about the feeling. Um, oftentimes, it's like a coming of age type you know type deal, and 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 if memory serves, you know it's either friends or brothers that are you know that are traveling like on that train. Brothers, kind of, yeah, yeah, brothers. They're going through all of the different hijinks, and you know you get all of the dialogue that you normally get from a Wes Anderson film. But I but the one thing that I do know is I remember feeling good about it at the end. Like you know what I mean. Like, like not all, not all. You don't, you don't always necessarily get to feel good about you know, about some of his movies. You know, some of them are left with kind of vague endings, and and you know, you know, left for you to interpret where things will go from there. But it, it was like one of the you know one of the more feel good ones. So I, I I have to imagine that's why I would have owned you know multiple copies of that movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a feel good movie. It, it's it is not entirely memorable. Yeah. Like, and, and I think you see that in the ranking here. I, I, it's definitely not one that people went to, to, to bat for. I don't think it got one person had it over 90. Mm, okay. So, looking at it now. Um, the thing about Wes Anderson, too, is before we did this, like, knowing that we were going to do this, I kind of teased it a week ago in advance. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when you think about Wes Anderson movies on a whole, what do you immediately think of? And um, at Cavs Anita, uh, our guy Justin, who, you know, is typical trying to tank a thread before it gets started <laughs> said <laughs> said drugs and people just just ran with that but you know like the thing that came to mind for me was like adult fairy tales and i i mm. think 
Mm-hmm. You have to be if you if you are looking for a state like a intense statement on what society is or isn't or you know you have to go into these movies knowing that they are whimsical, not entirely sensical, and and, and they follow that kind of game plan. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? I can appreciate... I don't need every single story to be, oh, okay, A plus B equals C. I don't, I don't need that. Like, to be honest with you, I don't necessarily know why... Like, I don't understand, like, you know, why you enjoy movies if you, if you want everything to be exactly, you know, exactly the same cookie-cutter type deal. Um, and, and, you know, like, you know, like I said, I get that, you know, that Wes Anderson, you know, his, his brand isn't for everybody, but... I would have a difficult time believing that if you sat down, anybody sits down and watches one, where they will at the end just go, that's absolutely terrible and I got nothing from it. You know, he deals a little bit in the abstract and he deals a little bit in, you know, like, uh, you know, how, how you described it as adult fantasy. Uh, but, you know, for me, they're just very entertaining. Yeah. And, and I, I like some of the more recent stuff more than the other, which we're working towards here. Mm-hmm. But but I agree. Um <clears throat> Isle of Dogs, actually his most recent film. He's got a new movie coming out next year. Um, but Isle of Dogs 2018 was his most recent film. Finished with a score of 68, average score of 68. Although it did have a couple people who gave it 100. So quite a few people did love this movie. Um, did you see this one? No, uh, but it doesn't shock me. Anything dog-related oftentimes, you can, you're going to get a strong reaction from the you know, from the dog crowd. I'm sure you did, though. Yeah, and this, this I, I didn't love this movie. Um I'm a tough sell on claymation. Like I, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't always love claymation, and we'll get to other movies that he's done in a second. But um, I thought, I thought the voice acting was great. It was a great cast, as every one of his movies always has. By the way, that's something else that's nice about Wes is he gets a, he gets all sorts of stars come out. He's got his regulars and in the Wilsons and Bill Murray and Edward Norton and whoever, but he always gets stars to come out and do these roles. It, it was it was an interesting story. It had some heartfelt moments, but on a whole, it it, it didn't blow me away. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those where I might eventually check it out, like if I if I happen to catch it on. But uh, like you, when it comes to claymation, it, it look that story that story needs to be good. <laughs> that story better be it better be compelling. Yeah, and um. That now I'm sounding just like a a, a jerk off movie film snob. critic, yeah, snob, yeah. But like it, that movie felt very much like, hey, what would one of my movies look like? Then <laughs> one of like his movies, you know what I mean? Like it, it didn't feel uh-huh. fleshed out enough. I got you. Um, okay, so number six. Um, remember, this is nine movies. Uh, the Life Aquatic with Steve uh, Zizaloo. Okay, so the funny thing about this, and I, if I'm not mistaken, Zizou, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I got you, and, and I, I don't think this is one that you've seen. No, really, the the, the plot line on it, like you know, they're they're all you know banding together in order to kill some mythical shark or whatever. It's really just a vessel for Bill Murray to build to, to Bill Murray. Like that's all it is. You know, he's surrounded by some fun performances from Kate Blanchett. Of course, you got you know Owen Wilson. You know his usual and his usual others, but it, this was. For the ones that I've seen, his most indulgent, and we keep you know we've been using that term you know a lot you know when it comes to, when it comes to movies, but this was definitely his most indulgent because this was Bill Murray. This was him saying, "All right, Bill, do you go ahead? You got this." See, you're you're selling me. You're making me want to turn that on. <laughs> which is why, which is why, if you're at you know, when we get to my rankings, it's it's like my second or third one. Yeah. I love Bill Murray. Like love I mean, Bill the- Murray. In the interest of time, like we we won't go through our own rankings on them, mm-hmm. so just you know throw them out yeah, I as you. we go through. Um, yeah, so yeah, this is this is the one I felt like I needed to see still. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, you, no, that, you definitely sound like lots of Bill Murray sounds good. Yeah, it's it's lots. Bill being Bill, one million percent. Did you see? Man, no, I, like, I'm, I'm straying for a second here, but Bill Murray did the one where he's kind of like the role model babysitter for the kid next door a couple years ago. Uh, I wanted to see that, and I will see that eventually. Oh, St. Vincent. Yes. Very underrated movie. Okay. Very underrated movie. Super, super great. Bill being Bill with sort of like a, a role model mentor oh, theme. Change okay. of heart. You know, predictable storyline, but fantastic movie. Um, yeah. I'm gonna. I won't do it on the show. I'm gonna shoot some, you know, some more Bill Murray movies at you to see if you've seen them. Because I, 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 even the obscure ones, I'll watch. Sounds good. Um, so yeah, Life Aquatic was number six, seventy three point seven. Number five, Rushmore, seventy five point seven. Yeah. So Rushmore, look, I'm gonna be upfront with you. Like this is the one that you know all the you know all my you know film nerds used to talk about. Like, oh, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. For me, it's about the cast because it was really an introduction to like him saying like, "Yo, look, look, look this is we, we're really doing this." You know, so it's got Jason Schwartzman. You know, of course, you got Bill Murray. Yeah, uh, I love Brian Cox. You know, pretty much anything he's been in for the last twenty five years, uh, and then of course Luke Wilson. You know, it's in a sort of a prep academy setting. Uh, but for me, it's just really is just the interactions and the dialogues that I can appreciate. While it's not one of my favorite, you know, you know, favorite movies, I it it's very Wes Anderson. Yeah, and I mean. Early, early work again. Yes. Right? Like, well, yeah, working um, his way through it. Exactly. Sh- shouts to Brian Cox, Agamemnon. Yeah, All-time classic movie, Troy. <laughs> Troy. One uh, of the greatest. One of the greatest. You know, let's be real about that. We're not, I won't go off too much of a tangent. Why do people dislike Troy? That movie actually is pretty good. Like, it's not yeah, people, great, but it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, that movie banged, man. I, I like the, When I went to see that movie, the theater was full. Everyone I know that likes movies has seen that movie. Everyone that likes action has seen that movie. Everyone who likes the Brad Pitt's seen that movie. Um, is it flawless? Is the dialogue perfect? Is it cheesy at times? Yeah, but that movie is still fun, and it's got to be... It's better than 300. It, oh, ooh. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. People right there are probably, like, shaking, but mm-hmm. I've probably seen Troy 10 times. Like, how many movies do you watch? have you watched 10 times? I mean, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm obsessed, but yes, I agree. Like, it, it's not, it's not often that a normal person would watch a movie ten times. It has a fantastic score. It has mm-hmm. an absolutely fantastic score. It's got some classic scenes, um, some classic speech moments from Brad Pitt. Yeah, great movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't even care. I don't even care. That's a great movie. Don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't talk down on Troy. Add us. Um, uh, four, number four, fantastic, Mister Fox, seventy six point five. So I don't know if you saw this one. This is one of the yes. ones I really liked. Um, you know, I I, I like you know it's kind of like the you know, it's kind of got sort of like a Robin Hood story in the sense of like, you know, Mister you know obviously after you know raiding and, and and doing what Mister Fox does, he ends up kind of having to you know band together you know to eventually lead the other animals against the farmers. Um, I won't completely give it away, but you know, you throw George Clooney, Meryl Streep, you know, Jason Schwartzman, of course, Bill Murray, and you know, the host of others in it. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. So this one is actually like my third, third favorite of his movies. I thought the other. I thought uh, what was Life Aquatic? Is, Life third. Aquatic is second. Oh, second. Okay. Yeah. So this is my number three as well. Mm-hmm. But I think if you've never watched a Wes Anderson movie, if you've never watched a Wes Anderson movie, you should watch this one. Um, and I think it's and if you, and with that statement as well, if you're looking for a movie that feels timely, I would say watch this one. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would say the three farmers, uh, George Clooney plays the the lead, the Mr. Fox who steals from these three farmers who have their businesses. Remind me very much of like the elite, like the Bill Gates, mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos, whoever else you want to throw in there. Um, 
who keep getting richer and richer and richer, and the the average man who tries to take his share. Um, there's some interesting parallels in this movie. Like having just watched this a month ago, getting getting ready for this, I felt it was very timely, and and probably spoke more to society than a lot of the other movies did, in my opinion. Yeah, it, you, that that's a great point, and it, it's funny because it's in it's in it's a cartoon, and it's it's probably these it is it's actually his closest to reality for sure. And that, uh, it, it's it's free on Disney Plus in Canada, which is the most surprising. No idea how it got on Disney Plus, but is it maybe it's a Disney? But I, I I don't know. I was just shocked that it was on Disney Plus. But anyway, it's been about eight years since I watched it. I'm going to I will be watching that this week again. Yeah, it, it feel it it did feel incredibly timely when I watched it. Nice. And, uh, yeah, and it was fun. And and again, I'm not a big claymation guy, but it didn't bug me as much in this one because I was pretty immersed in the characters and the writing for this movie. Yeah, no, no, no without a doubt. Um, so that was number four, seventy six point four. Number three uh, was Moonrise Kingdom, seventy nine point six. Um, I really, really liked Moonrise Kingdom. It's my second favorite of his movies. Who, no, uh, is it, it is his normal cast or what? Because I haven't seen that one. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's got a lot of the regular characters, but um, Edward Norton is a camp counselor, Beavers, Cub Scout, whatever equivalent. Bruce Willis is the cop. They're on this small island facing um, a hurricane and they're basically looking for two two children who have run away. One of them's a boy scout. One of them's a, a girl who lives on the island who have fallen in love and want to be together. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, again, this whimsical, silly, fairy tale-esque telling of these two trying to escape and just live their lives even though they're only you know little kids as, as these crazy characters kind of come together and try to find them and you know, various things occur, but I, I thought it was a very heartfelt, um, genuine movie. I, you know, you talked about movies that leave you feeling fulfilled and nice. There's mm-hmm. kind of all these sad little parts to all the lives of all the characters, and they mm-hmm. all sort of, uh, I, I don't want to say perfectly mend, but but become better through you know the chase of these two kids and bringing this community together. So I, I really enjoy this movie. It's one that I'm about to check out. First of all, Edward, Edward Norton isn't used enough, and what that, obviously what that means is he doesn't allow himself to be you know, used enough in, in enough productions. Uh, so anything that he's in, I, I'm here for. Um, for whatever reason, this actually sounds familiar. So I, I'm wondering if I started watching it one night and just didn't finish it. But yeah, no, I'm, I'll, I'll definitely get to that one. What is his movie? Uh, the movie where he kind of he tricks the lawyer into representing him and Primal uh, Fear. Primal Fear. I got yeah. You. Yep. Have we talked about before how his character in Primal Fear badly needs his own movies as a spinoff? Why? Yeah, like why wouldn't they? That, as, as, as much as we do spinoffs and sequels and everything these days, do that one. Oh yeah, do that one. Like where you know he, uh, who is who is the lawyer? Uh, Richard Gere's Richard lawyer. Gere. Yep. And at the end of the movie, he was like, you know, this was you the whole time, and Edward Norton laughs at him. He's like, no. Aaron was never real. Roy was here the whole time, or whatever. <laughs> that that was that was a clutch scene. And I'm looking at uh, it's a Kaiser Sose type scene. Yeah, it, it was on that level. It it was, and I didn't even realize as Edward Norton's first big movie. But um, yeah, I would love to see that character, that like psychopath, what he's doing nowadays. That'd be great. Um, so that was number three, Moonrise Kingdom, seventy nine point six. Number two, Grand Budapest Hotel, eighty one point three. Uh, this was this is my favorite 
watch this movie. <laughs> so th- this one caused an argument with an ex, not by Curry, because <laughs> I wouldn't, oh really? Because yeah. I wouldn't go see it. So tell me about it, please. Tell me why. why I was would, a, tell me why. What was your reason fool. for not wanting I think, to go see it? I think it came out at a time where I just didn't feel like it, and I, you know, being a being the jerk that I am, the stubborn, you know, you know stubborn idiot that I can be sometimes. I was just like, nope, dig, digging my heels in the sand, just not going to do it. Yeah, I just I thought it was a fun movie, man. Like it it's I don't want to say like Indiana Jones but Wes Anderson, but like this really solid adventure with once again like again all these crazy characters that you don't expect played by actors that you love and it just came together beautifully and I you know it was coming out, I would say probably when did this come out? Five, six years ago now? Yeah, 2014. Mm-hmm. And and people were really starting to take to Wes Anderson, and he was really starting to become mainstream, and there was like a ton of potential for this to be, you know, a flop or not match the hype, and yet I thought it was it was the best one he's done. All right, so I, I've got I've got some more homework, even though we're obviously going to be working on Nolan this week. I, I'm, I'm going to watch this one as well. Yeah, let's be real though. I got nothing. I got nothing to watch for Nolan. I've seen everything. Yeah, exactly. No, well, yeah, you, no, you've already seen. You've already seen all the Nolan stuff. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, no, you should definitely watch. What was the reason? Is you just you just weren't feeling it like at the time? Yeah, like, it, you know, you know how I am with it. A lot of times, it's a timing thing because there are, there are times where I'll watch a movie like when it comes out, think it's terrible. Or the or or just you'll know, not be impressed by it. But then if I circle back a few years later, I'm like, man, that was actually damn good. Or no, 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 it was actually worse than I thought. For whatever reason, the timing on that one it just it came out at a time where yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was pissed about uh you know the 2014 finals or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, you should watch this one. It was really good. Okay. It, was, it was it was really good. Um, okay, so. I guess you know what number one is then. Yes, sir. Of course I do. Royal Tenenbaums, 84.7. So it was significantly number one. Um, I'll just, I'll let you go on it. I'll let you riff off here. But I will say this movie left me wanting. Okay. Okay. I mean, there's not, the thing of it is with all Wes Anderson movies, it's not like you can go off on it for 15 minutes. It's a pretty, you know, pretty simple deal. A wealthy family that's estranged, but, you know, full of eccentric figures. Um, I and, and and for me, it like I I won't let you talk me off of this one. I love this film and I always will. The layers, the you know the the, the interactions between Angelica Houston and Gene Hackman, the interaction between Gene Hackman and Danny Glover. Uh, I'm gonna tell you right now. I was watching this movie with a group of folks that did not look anything like me the first time, and when uh, Gene Hackman hit that dude with "You heard me, Coltrane," I <laughs> and they started laughing, and I couldn't help but fall out on the ground laughing. You know that moment in its that that moment alone. That moment alone was worth it for me, but yeah, no, like you know, I love the you know I love the Ben Stiller situation where he's grieving, but then trying to you know still you know take you know uh, raise his boys, trying to be a better dad than you know Gene Hackman obviously was for him. Uh, you've got the angle of Luke Wilson being a failed tennis player, but you know you 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 come to find out it was all because he was in love with well whatever you know I don't want to give it away for the folks that haven't seen it, but in love with someone that he's not supposed to be in love with. Like yeah, it's a. It came out. It came out. No one. He's in love with his adopted stepsister, which is weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And they had grown up together. That's what made it weird. It's like one thing. It's like they met each other, and they was like they were both like sixteen. And he was like, "Yo, you're fine." Nah, they grew up together. You know what? The problem with this movie for me was that the dynamic was great, the cast was great, but I felt like everyone was underutilized, which. Mm-hmm. Which I feel can happen when you have these like massively awesome casts. So many again, 
Yeah. yeah, Bill Murray is barely a character in there. You know, like he he's got a very token role with almost no dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's character has layers we never get to explore. Angelica Houston, who plays you know the ex-wife, um, is kind of like a mediator or bystander through all of it. When it would have been nice to know. We had no point in that movie, like, how does she feel about the divorce? How does she feel about the kids? There's, like, one moment of dialogue where she's like, I thought I did a good job. I didn't. Maybe I didn't do as good a job raising these guys. I thought we get, like, nothing from her. Um, you know, part of Wes Anderson is he often uses the narrator to kind of skip mm-hmm. to plot build for him, which I don't have a huge problem with, you know, especially if it's, if it's leading us somewhere. But it's like, yeah, Ben Stiller's wife died a long time, and now he's kind of a spaz about it. And then Ben Stiller's character just like it's just a spaz and doesn't really have any depth. Uh, Luke Wilson more or less feels like the protagonist of this movie. You know, as much as it's about Royal and Gene Hackman's character trying to win back his family, mm-hmm. it very much feels centered on the favorite child, which is Luke Wilson and his self-discovery and coming to terms with the fact that he loves his adopted sister, which is weird. And I, I, I just, I don't know, man. This did, like, I, I got a lot of, when I put this up, this was the movie people most wanted to talk about. And like you, I guess it banged for them. And, and my guy at MattyD416 um, was like, this better get 100. But this this mm-hmm. was not in my top three of the Wes Anderson movies. I, I did not leave it feeling fun, whimsical. I left feeling... Uh, not sated at all. So there are times where I realize, you know, when you experience something, uh, how much different it is for you. So like a lot of these older movies that you may not have ever, you, you may not have seen, and I saw them in the moment and at that time, at that point in entertainment history, meaning like, you know what I mean? Like where... Uh, at time, well, obviously, since 2000, 2001, you know, it, the entertainment has changed significantly. And, and even Wes Anderson, as we've had, you know, kind of had uh, this conversation, we've shown that he's, you know, changed and developed over that time. There, I referenced that because I, I, I realized that's why certain things don't bang for you quite like they bang for me. Or, you know what I mean? And, and it's not even a, it's not even like, oh, man, like, I know. No, it's just a matter of, like, I saw it at that point and it banged. So it's always going to resonate, you know, resonate, you know, to a certain degree, you know, like it, you know, like it did at that stage. Whereas, if yeah. I just watch it for the first time right now and I had already seen a bunch of other Wes Anderson films, I'd say, well, wait a second. Why isn't he developing these characters you know, you know, quite as well as he does with his current stuff? When the reality is, his old movies, he you know, he would put the, put them out there and usually re- really use, as you just said, the narrator to push the story along and the dialogue to push the film. He wasn't, he wasn't building out his characters anywhere near as well as he does now. Yeah, and I... I, I yeah, maybe. And like, I, we, I definitely agree with you on your point. Like, cultural relevance at the time and nostalgia mm-hmm. play. All, all is play. And, and you can't help it. But, like, I, I just... I felt like Gwyneth Paltrow's character very much, too. Like, she's obviously deeply troubled, deeply rebellious. Um, she almost struck me, like, I kind of thought we were going to find out maybe she was, like, abused as a kid. Yeah. Was yeah. the vibe I was getting from her. Mm-hmm. And yet she just kind of goes with the flow. Like, she's not happy. She marries Bill Murray. She's not happy. Then she's having an affair with Owen Wilson. She's not happy. Then she's kind of, like with Luke Wilson but she doesn't want to do it because she knows it's weird and she's not happy and then she's just with him at the end and I'm like it, it, I don't it, I, I felt like he he un, underdeveloped the, the characters specifically the kids who uh, Hackman was trying to reconcile with and you know it also makes me wonder you know because we we know how these how these things go his movie you know if I'm not if I'm mistaken that movie's over two hours long I wonder how much of that character development ended up on the cutting room floor 
Because, you know, and, and for anybody that's not aware of this, oftentimes these guys will record three hours, four hours worth of footage. And then, you know, like they have to make concessions and they have to make, you know, adjustments and they have to do things, you know, due to the studio. Or the studio comes and says, yeah, you know what? We, you know, at first it was fine with two, you know, two hours and 25 minutes, but no, you got to get it down to two hours and 18 minutes or whatever the case may be. So I wonder if that, you know, if that also was the case or if he just simply failed to develop the, you know, develop the younger characters as much. Yeah, and like don't do that anymore, directors, producers, <laughs> film like don't do that shit. Well, they do I'll it less now. They do it less now, but they 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 definitely used to cut stuff. You know, they cut a lot out before. But I'm I'd much rather see and like I know we have different opinions on the Irishman, but you thought the Irishman was a good movie, and I thought it was a really good movie. Neither of us thought it was a great movie, but I didn't. I wasn't bored during the Irishman. Like you know, I I, I, w- I was okay with the length of the movie. Yeah. Now, not everyone needs four hours to tell tell a story, but if you want. Two and a half hours to tell that movie. Don't let the producers cut it to an hour forty-five. Don't, I, don't do that shit. I me. actually agree with that. And even though I think the Irishman could have been told in in let's just say three and a half hours instead of four, whatever the case would be, like thirty minutes less or even an hour less, I still will acknowledge. Yeah, no, no, that was good. That was great storytelling. Like I wasn't bored. I just was. I you, you know what? With that one, it was just like yeah, I get it. it not bored, yeah. but yeah, I get it. So uh, to recap, number one, Royal Tenenbaums. Number two, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Number three, Moonrise Kingdom. Number four, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Number five was why am I missing? Oh, Rushmore. So that was the top five. Um, on Thursday, we will do Christopher Nolan. I think he's directed 15 films. So we'll I'll get those 15 in the form. Let you guys rank them one to 100, and we'll walk through those next week. Send us any hot takes you got. If you haven't liked, rated, or reviewed the show, please do so. Um, It would help us immensely. Appreciate all the support, and we'll catch you on Thursday.